0: Uh, Pastor Ken was born and raised in South Florida, where he enjoyed playing sports and dodging hurricanes. His great love through high school was baseball. Ken attended Florida State University in Tallahassee, and soon after college, came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He attended Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. During seminary, he worked at KUC, Korean United Church, where he met his wife, Lisa. They've been married since 1990, and and have been blessed with two wonderful children, Danny and Kimmy. Ken, Ken enjoys exercising, reading, watching the Chicago Cubs and Florida State Seminoles, spending time with his family and his wife's good cooking. He's grateful for the grace of the gospel found in Jesus Christ, and he longs for others to know the joy and the power of this gospel. Okay, so let's give Pastor Ken a warm welcome. Thank you, Tim. It's good to be with you this morning. It's a privilege to uh, minister God's word to you and to see uh, some old faces and get reacquainted with some and to meet others of you for the very first time. So thank you for your kind invitation to us. Uh, Before we look at God's word, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, who is like you among the gods, O Lord, <clears throat> majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. We thank you for the wonder of wonders that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We thank you that Christ has conquered sin and death in the grave. We thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would open that word to us now, and open our hearts to that word. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. The New Testament reminds us that every Christian uh, faces and uh, interacts with three great enemies. These are enemies we don't think about often enough. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world out there tempts us, We are constantly battling the sin within our own hearts, and the devil, Satan, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And it would be my guess that we give lip service more to the third of these than to uh, the other two, and that for a good reason. Satan is cunning, Satan is subtle, and Satan is deceptive. And Paul is reminding us here in this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 that uh, in order to live the Christian life, you and I need to appreciate that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. Every Christian is called to be a soldier. Every Christian is constantly doing battle with these three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I want us to focus this morning on the third of these, The fact of the matter is that you and I live in enemy-occupied territory. This was made clear by our Lord Jesus when he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, though they will certainly try, will not be able to prevail against it. You and I need to understand that there is this titanic struggle between good and evil that goes on every day of our lives. There's no temporary ceasefire. Uh, The battle rages every hour of every day, and it is a spiritual battle unto the death. Now, you and I don't like to think about our lives in these terms. We prefer the prophet who says, peace, peace, when there is uh, no peace. But the word of God is very clear to us. From the curse upon the serpent until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are at war. And sometimes it takes a few shots across our bow to remind us that we are not on a pleasure cruise. Sometimes it takes being reminded that we have brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are being captured and mercilessly tortured and martyred for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ to remind us that we are in a spiritual battle. And in our passage here, Paul uses battle imagery as he calls us to stand firm in the midst of this spiritual warfare. He begins by telling us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And in order to do that, you and I need to understand three things. We need to understand the nature of the battle. We need to understand the character of the enemy. And we need to understand the resources at our disposal. We need to understand, in the first place, the nature of the battle. Once we are persuaded of the reality of the battle, we need to understand its nature. In a nutshell, Satan is an angel of light. He would like nothing better than for you and me not to realize that we are in a spiritual battle that is unto death. He would rather you and I lose sight of the conflict. That we are in with Satan. And that is why Paul says what he says here, because he does not want us being deceived by the deceiver. And you and I can be easily blinded, we can be easily distracted by other things, and we can forget that we are in a spiritual war. C.S. Lewis has written a book called The Screwtape Letters. Some of you may have read that book. And in his preface, he says these somewhat well-known words. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, the human race, can fall regarding the devil. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Now, of course, it would be a great mistake to blame everything on Satan. You and I need to be responsible for the sin of our own hearts. But as I sometimes like to say, Martin Luther says we have a horse, and we can fall off that horse on either side. We can either come to believe that um, Satan is... Not involved in our lives at all, or we can come to believe that he is absolutely responsible for everything. And we need to guard against falling into a way of thinking that does not take into account the considerable influence that he exercises, as Paul writes here. Paul does not want you and me to underestimate our spiritual enemy, because if we do, we will not see our need to be vigilant. And that is so easy to do because we are in an unseen battle, a spiritual battle. And we do not live our lives, we need to understand, merely on a horizontal plane. Paul says two things to us here. Uh, He says to us in verse uh, Twelve, he he says in our passage here that this battle takes place in the heavenly places. Five times in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he uses that phrase in the heavenly places. In chapter 1, he tells us that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. In chapter 2, he says we've been raised up with Christ in the heavenly places. And then we turn over to chapter 6, and he says there's something else that's going on in the heavenly places. He says there is a spiritual battle, there is an intense spiritual conflict. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's against the rulers, it's against the powers, it's against the world forces of this darkness, it's against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The Apostle Paul tells us in chapter 2 that before coming to Christ, you and I were, unbeknownst perhaps to us, we were dedicated followers of Satan. But precisely because we've been raised up with Christ, we are now objects of his vigorous attack. And that is why pastors will often hear from young Christians why is it that now that I've become a Christian, my life is so, so very, very difficult? And the answer is, A, because the Christian life is not easy, and B, because Satan knows that if he cannot destroy your salvation, he will do everything he can to destroy your joy in the Lord and to turn your gaze away from the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I need to appreciate that Satan hates with a perfect hatred. And because he knows he cannot drag Christ back onto the cross to suffer hell all over again, he will do the next best thing, and he will seek to come after you and me, those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a battle, dear ones, that takes place in the heavenly places. But Paul also tells us that it is a battle in the evil day. Now, what is that day? Well, Paul is probably thinking here about specific times of intense temptations and battles that engage us in our daily lives. For example, when Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now, not all of our days are equally dangerous, but the point is that we can never completely rest comfortably. The assaults will be likely to come when you and I least expect them. What is that evil day for you and for me? Well, by and large, it is when two things coalesce. It is when temptations and desires to sin meet together with opportunities to sin. Most of us, sometimes we are tempted and we desire to sin, but we don't have the opportunity to sin. On other occasions, we have the opportunity to sin, but by God's grace, we're not tempted and we don't have the desire to, to sin. I'm sure that you are conscious of something of this taking place in your own lives. There are days when you encounter situations and you know And if you had encountered that situation a mere two weeks before, uh, you would have fallen into into temptation. But for different reasons, there is nothing presently tugging at your heart to give in. But when the opportunity to sin and the desire to sin coalesce, when they meet, when when they come together, as they did, for example, with Eve in the Garden of Eden, or they did with King David when he was a ro- walking around on the roof and he saw Bathsheba bathing. That is when the evil day comes. And the Apostle Paul wants us to be ready for that day. So there is the nature of the battle. But then in the second place, Paul goes on and he tells us about the character of the enemy. It's always a first principle of warfare that you know well both your enemy and your resources. And that is as true of spiritual conflict as it is of military combat. It is foolish for you and me to underestimate our spiritual enemy. Because if we do so, we will see no need of God's spiritual armor. And that's why C.S. Lewis has wisely said that we contend to minimize the activity of the devil. And that's the very thing he wants us to do. There was a theologian, a Dutch theologian, who lived in the 19th century His name was Abraham Kuiper, and he puts this uh, very well, this helpful corrective to this tendency we have. He says this, he says, if the curtains were pulled back, the, the spiritual curtains, if they were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came into view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle fought here on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Not here, says Abraham Kuyper, but up there. That is where the real spiritual conflict is engaged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. Abraham Kuyper And the Apostle Paul are wanting to remind us that the severity, the nature, the power, the subtlety, the deceptiveness of the spiritual battle is so present, so true that we dare not allow ourselves the luxury of taking our eyes off of the reality of this battle. Verse 12 reminds us that the enemy is supernatural in his power. And that's why the apostle Paul, uh, by this accumulation of descriptive terms, he is conveying to us a sense of uh, the weightiness of this battle that we're in and the power of this battle that we are in. And the things we need to get into our minds, the things we need to get into our minds is that ultimately our battle is not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood we can handle. Flesh and blood we know how to uh, deal with. The only weapons appropriate for this battle, says the Apostle Paul, are the weapons that God has given for us to fight this good fight. And in any kind of, of warfare, it is vital for you and for me to employ the resources that are suited in the enemy that we are facing. It does you little good to try to kill an elephant with a BB gun. It does little good to get out your paint guns and your paint pellets and to begin fighting a spiritual enemy in the heavenly realms. You and I need spiritual resources to fight a spiritual battle. And as we saw, sang earlier this morning, we don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We don't depend completely on ourselves. Our dependence is upon the Lord. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. You and I don't get out our, our, our physical guns and our military tactics. He says our struggle is against flesh and it is against blood. And you and I need to appreciate that, as Jesus said, the king contemplating battle, unless he first sits down and counts the cost of whether he is stronger to engage the enemy, would be foolish otherwise. And for you and for me to go into this life as if we only had two enemies, the world distracting and alluring us and enticing us out there in the sin of our own hearts. And yet all the while behind the scenes, there he is with his hellish grin and his devious fiery darts, seeking to do battle with us, to undermine our faith, to get us to lose hearts. You and I know what that's like and he is very cunning. He knows the cracks in our spiritual armor. And so you and I would do well to understand the character of this enemy. We need spiritual weapons to deal with supernatural power because otherwise we cannot stand unless you think that you are stronger than Adam, stronger than David, stronger than Simon Peter, all of whom Satan, for a time, brought down by his cunning tactics. And so Paul is warning us that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. The enemy is supernatural in his power. He is profoundly organized in his strategy. He is a deceiver with the most sinister of methods. He's the deceiver of the brethren. He's the accuser of the brethren and he seeks to destroy you and me. He is like some optometrist. Satan likes to slip these little false lenses into our spiritual spectacles uh, uh, that make us utterly myopic, just merely nearsighted, so that you and I only see the world as we physically see it, and we don't see the world as it really is. And that's why Paul says... And this is so important. We need to understand how subtle Satan is and how evil he is in his disposition. That's why, he, why he's called the devil. That's why he has no conscience. He will masquerade as an angel of light, and then he will attack. He will be like the wolf in the sheep's clothing, and he will come in and seek to devour the sheep in the disguise uh, of being a sheep himself. Sometimes he's like a roaring lion, but dear ones, more often than not, he is as subtle as a serpent. You remember how he got at Adam in the garden, how he got at Eve? Has God really said that you shall not eat from any tree in the fruit of the garden? What's he implying? What are the insinuations of Satan whispering in the ear of Eve? Oh, this God in whom you've placed your trust, he's not really a good God. He was seeking to plant a seed of doubt in their minds. He doesn't want you to eat of any of the trees, which is not what God said in the first place at all. But you see, he's cunning, and he's subtle, and he's deceptive. He wants to destroy us, and he seeks to do so in all kinds of ways through pornography, through the love of riches, through false teaching. Satan loves to say a hundred things that are true in order to set you up for the hundred and first thing that is a lie. He is very subtle, subtle. In all of his ways, he has the uncanny ability to whisper into our ears and get us. He he wants to blackmail us. He says, Keep that sin to yourself. You don't need to tell anybody, it'll just be yours and my dirty little secret. And so we do, and we are defeated, and we struggle. And we don't know the joy of the Lord as our strength. And so he's very, very cunning. He talks, here, Paul talks here about the schemes of the devil. His major strategy is deception. He's this, this angel of light. He's a dangerous wolf. He will do anything he can to get to, uh, get us to let our guards down so that we are not uh, trusting in the Lord and vigilant to his attacks. Open temptation, open uh, persecution are not his only weapons. Even, dear ones, not even his main weapons. He prefers to seduce us into compromise and to deceive us into error. And there's no greater scheme he employs rather than have us want to forget all about him. The existence of a personal devil, he wants us to laugh. Fiery darts, ludicrous. And pretty soon, down comes the guard. Out come the cracks in our armor, and he attacks us, and he operates under the guise of darkness. Some of you may have read John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, a wonderful book uh, if you've not read it. And you may remember there's that picture of this Christian who is walking along and suddenly his mind is filled with all kinds of blasphemies and wicked thoughts. And uh, he begins to wonder uh, what is going on here. You and I may know times like that. We may be in times of prayer. We may be even in times of worship. And the most blasphemous and wicked of thoughts begin to fill and occupy our minds. That's Satan wanting to distract you, wanting to discourage you, wanting to turn your heart away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Bunyan goes on to say, what this Christian didn't see is that there were these sinister figures behind him whispering into his ear these things trying to undermine his faith. And so Satan is utterly evil in his disposition. And you and I need to appreciate that. So there's the nature of the battle, there's the character of the enemy. But there's a third thing that we dare not overlook, and it's the resources at our disposal. Only the power of God can defend and deliver us from the might, from the wickedness, and from the cunning of the devil. And so Paul says in verse 10 Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We all need strength. We all need it daily. We need it at work. We need it at school. We need it in our homes. We need it in this anti-God-hating world in which you and I live, which wants to intimidate and threaten and undermine our following of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything around us is acclimated in the world to get us to breathe in the cultural air that is around us. And again, very subtly, very deceptively, down goes the guard, in go the temptations to turn away from following the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul would have us understand here that you and I have everything we need in three resources, in Christ, in his word, and in prayer. You and I don't appreciate possibly often enough the reality of what Christ has accomplished already on our behalf 2,000 years ago. By his death, He has conquered the powers of sin, death, and the devil. You and I need to appreciate that the drama of the gospel isn't merely about reconciliation between a holy God and wicked sinners such as ourselves, but it's about the liberation of God's people from the power and the clutches of the evil one. The Apostle John over in his first letter reminds us. He says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That is one of the reasons Jesus has come. And then Jesus in the Gospel of John, John is so helpful here in what he says. In Jesus, in anticipating the cross, he says this, He says, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world is cast out. And then John doesn't stop there. He goes back, going back to his first letter. He says, dear brothers and sisters, remember, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Question, do you believe that? You and I live as if that is true, because you and I are living as if we are in a spiritual battle that is a battle for our souls. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. There's an old hymn that has a verse in it that I... I, very much appreciate because it speaks so much to my heart when the devil, who's the accuser of the brethren, accuses me. And you may know this. Are there times when you commit a certain sin and Satan loves to persuade you? You call yourself a Christian. How can you be a Christian after you've committed that sin again? And the verse of the hymn goes like this, well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. Dear ones, God has separated your sins as far as the East is from the West, to remember them no more. You and I need to believe that when we are struggling when we feel like we're going down for the third time i know my sins god says i've separated your sins as far as the east is from the west to remember them no more now you and i need to appreciate i've said a lot of negative things this morning you and i need to appreciate that when the bible talks to us when god talks to us about the evil one and the reality of the spiritual battle, he is not intending for you and me to become paranoid. He is simply wanting us to live as biblical realists. He's wanting us to understand life as it really is. He's not wanting us to be paranoid, oh, as if Satan's under every rock. Again, remember C.S. Lewis's quote, we can fall into this error on this side and this error on the other side. But we need to be realists. We need to understand that we are, in fact, in a battle. We are living in a war zone. And sometimes we forget that. You and I have enjoyed so much peace and prosperity in the world in which we live today that we've come to assume that such good conditions are normal for us and we don't need to think more deeply about the reality of the spiritual battle that surrounds us. Are you and I prepared, should persecution come, to stand for the Lord, come what may? Or will Satan employ the world in his arsenal to get at the crack in your armor to say, oh, you can deny Jesus here, or you can get along with the world's agenda here? And all the while, the while, he's wanting to undermine our faith so that we are no longer strengthened. Dear ones, you and I need to understand Christ has conquered Satan. He came to destroy the works of the devil. But we have a second resource, and that resource is prayer. Going back to Jesus and his conversation with Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What do you and I imagine right now the Lord Jesus Christ is doing among the many things he may be doing in heavenly glory? One of the things he's doing for us right now is he's praying for us. He ever lives, as the author of Hebrews says, to intercede for us, that our faith may not fail. And so Paul, knowing that, he goes on in his list of the armor, and he talks about how we are to take up the weapon of all prayer, And we're to pray at all times in the Spirit, in dependence upon the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, trusting the Spirit to take our prayers and the Lord Jesus to take our prayers and to use those prayers when we are weak and when we are needy and when we're so, so tempted and when we're so desperately trying to keep our heads above water as we seek to live the Christian life, the Lord wants you and I to pray. You want to know how real your prayer life is? Ask yourself, how dependent upon the Lord am I truly? Because one of the ex- exhibitions of my dependence on the Lord will be the extent to which I pray. Do I pray wherever I am, whatever I'm doing? You don't have to, you can pray when you're driving. You can pray when you're in bed. You can pray when you're eating. You can pray with your eyes open. You can pray with your eyes closed. Do you, do you and I see how needy we are? We prayed that. We sang that as well this morning, or Tim talked about that. Do you and I see how needy we are and therefore how prayerful we need to be? Prayer is one of the weapons the apostle calls for us to employ as we are engaged in this spiritual battle, and we dare not neglect this piece of God's armor. There's a man who lived a long time ago. His name was Samuel Chadwick. I'm not all that sure who he was, but he has this very good thing to say. He says, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Do we believe that? Prayer is appropriating a spiritual resource that in and of ourselves, you and I do not have and we so desperately need. We need to pray, oh Lord, open my eyes to the realities of satanic attacks, to the realities of the evil one. Again, we can fall off on either side. Oh, he's everywhere. Uh, he wants to get us paranoid or he's nowhere. He wants to lull us to sleep so he can do his, his worst in undermining our faith. You may be here this morning, and you may not be a follower of the Lord Jesus. You may be uh, considering the Christian faith. That's a wonderful thing to do. Uh, we are so glad you are here. But you're not sure about all this Christianity business. One of the things Satan longs to do in the life of unbelievers is he loves to take the preaching of God's word and make it to be null and void in the lives of any non-Christians who come and hear that word preached. Now, how do I know that? Because that's what Jesus says. You remember his parable of the sower and the soils and the farmers out there casting his seed upon the ground and some seed is cast upon the hard ground. And Jesus explains, he interprets what that means. He says, the birds of the air come along, that is Satan, and they snatch that seed away from being sown in the ground. My dear unbelieving friends, it is is paramount that, that you and I, but that you take to heart what God says in his word. He longs to show you the beauty of his son, The the songs that we sang this morning, they're not just little ditties that uh, someone has invented on their own to kind of give us an emotional high for a few seconds and then we go on our merry way. If you're an unbeliever this morning, I plead with you to think about your sin. Satan wants to whisper in your ear, you're good. You're better than all these other people after all and that is not God's standard at all. God's standard is his law, and his law, dear ones, is inflexible. It's a law that condemns any and every one of us who violates one jot or one tittle of that law, and we've all broken that law blatantly, repeatedly, rebelliously, many, many times. And so, dear unbeliever, think about your sin. Think about the fact that one day that spiritual curtain will be ripped back and you will stand before this holy God and you will have to give an account of your life to this God. And I imagine one of the things he's going to say to you in one form or another is, what have you done with my son? Do you see that I have sent him? He lived a perfect life of obedience. He died a death never having committed one sin which qualified him to go to the cross and suffer the hell that you and I deserve as our substitute, as our representative sin-bearer in our place. In my place condemned he stood and sealed my pardon with his blood." I'm not going to sit here and try to coerce you or manipulate you into coming to Christ. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to graciously work in your hearts. But I ask you to think about, what are you going to do with your sin one day when you stand before this holy God, this infinitely holy God, and have to give an account of your life apart from being covered, being clothed with the righteousness Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my dear unbelieving friend, may God give eyes to you, just as I pray He would give eyes to all those who who do believe. Satan doesn't want to lose you to the enemy's camp, He wants you to follow Him. And so I plead with you. May God open your eyes. I plead with my brothers and sisters. May God open our eyes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but greater is he who is in us and he who is in the world. If God is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, our hearts are often so fickle and so hard. We are often so rebellious. We often play right into the enemy's hands. Our Father, I pray that you would quicken us to these spiritual realities, that the evil one would do everything within his power to persuade us that they do not exist that life is a bed of roses, that we can take it easy, that we can take our eyes off of Jesus, that we can follow the world. Our Father, by your grace, do what only you can do. Persuade us of these truths and cause us to cling more tenaciously to the the lover of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.